Growing and scaling a business is complex. It can be very scary and lonely trying to navigate it all. It comes down to the community of trusted people you surround yourself with. Let's dive in to the Business is People podcast. Hey, Joe, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. Always good to be here. Hope all is well with you. Things are fabulous. I'm really excited again to talk about subjects around what you do as an expert in the industry of leadership training and development. And we were talking offline about how a lot of business owners and C-suite folks are terrified that their leaders and managers have no or very low emotional intelligence. So we're going to be unpacking that today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's a topic that we're encountering quite a bit, working with business leaders and one that really hits home for them when they look at both themselves and the leaders in their organization, it's, it's becoming quite clear that it's a critical ingredient to long-term success. So what are you seeing and hearing as like scenarios right now in the marketplace? Yeah, we've talked about this a lot in terms of how things have unfolded over the last 18, 19 months. 2020 was really about hanging on reframing the business and the value proposition on the fly, and even in some cases, really right-sizing the business because things were sort of spiraling out of control toward the middle second half of the year. And then as businesses started to rebound and the economy started to rebound coming into 2021, a lot of what we would call important metadata from the employees themselves was yielding a common theme which is our leaders need to be much better. And one of the areas that they need to be much better in is around self-awareness, right? Which is a term that gets thrown around quite a bit, but I think it's really important to put not necessarily the clinical definition on it today, but put it in some practical terms. And so I think first it would be great to frame up how we would think about emotional intelligence and then you know, break it down into its more digestible pieces. How can someone be aware that they even have a problem? Like, what are some signs that they're seeing that say, oh, you know what? I think we need to address this or, you know, this falls in the bucket of emotional intelligence. So I'm glad you asked that because if you were to look at the vast majority of folks in a leadership position, right, which we would define as really anyone who is supervising other people or has influence over the success and day-to-day of others from the CEO on down, it's important to look at the percentage of people who really believe they're self-aware. So we do a lot of work, as you know, with Predictive Index, and they got some really great data from Harvard Business Review in a study that was conducted in 2019, over 5,000 leaders, where the leaders were asked to describe their level of self-awareness, and then they were all assessed on that very same thing. 95% of people in that study believed that they were truly self-aware. And after being assessed, only 15% were, right? I'll say that again, 95% of people that are in leadership roles are walking around thinking that their style is being really well-received. And in fact, only uh, one in seven are. So there's a really big gap between perception and reality. And that is the gap that's keeping a lot of CEOs up at night. And you also have this framework too. I think is it four or five like main pillars where em- employees tend to stay. And one of them is leadership or their management. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I remember correctly from our past conversation, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, if we were to look at the three things that 
leaders can control, which would be aligning people with the job, aligning people with their leader and aligning people with the team. The leader piece tends to be the one that is the nucleus of all of that because the leader has so much influence over the people that, you know, report to them or rely on them for success. So being the biggest pivot point and having the biggest gap between perception and reality, it now makes a lot of sense to us why our CEOs and other key leaders and influencers that we work with are so concerned about this. And the interesting thing is a lot of it is not about intent. It's not that 80% of people are intending to not be self-aware. It's that they really don't know in a lot of ways what it truly means to be self-aware. And they also haven't been able to, or haven't been given the opportunity to build their skills around interpersonal leadership. So there's two parts to that equation. The first piece is really understanding what self-awareness is, right? And so there's a two-part practical definition. Before we actually dive into that, I think for folks that might be listening, like what is the definition of emotional intelligence? Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I jumped the gun there a little bit. (laughs) So um, EQ is usually defined as having the capacity to understand your own leadership style or really understand your own behaviors and then having the capacity to understand how it's perceived by others and be able to make meaningful adjustments on behalf of others. So first is an inward look, right? And really truly understanding yourself. And then the other half of it is really understanding how it's perceived by others in real time in action. I mean, I I do the same for myself. I've seen a lot more content around EQ, of course, reading articles and talking to you, like looking at myself in the mirror. Is my style right? Am I connecting with my people? Am I supporting them? Am I being the right leader that they expect me to be? It's kind of like, you know, I'll use the analogy for sports. Like you remember those coaches that made an impact for you. And I think us as leaders and as managers, we want to be remembered as that as well. As people progress through their career, you know, they can look back and say, oh, that manager, that person, you know, Joe was a big influence in my life and my career. And I, I believe EQ plays a big role in that. And it's really helping you become a better leader so that you're also building a culture and providing productivity, but also a healthy, safe work environment for folks. That's what they're looking for today. And I think for those realizing they're not in the right culture of business with the wrong leader, that's why we see this, what they call the big resignation. Yeah. It's a scary term to think about because it's so avoidable. It's not a hundred percent avoidable, but people oftentimes don't realize that there's some simple things they can do to mitigate the effects of people, you know, leaving their role or their organization because they're not connected to their manager or their leader. And you made a really good point in talking about past coaches or leaders that you've worked with. I remember when I was in the education sector for five and a half years, I had a really hard time with the style of leadership, because a lot of leaders in that business tend to be more operationally focused and they're really good around process and they're really good around organization where a lot of them tend to struggle is when they have to have what I'd call healthy conflict with their people. So you'd find that for folks like me who actually appreciate healthy conflict, 
that was a difficult contrast in style because I would rather be told flat out what I need to do to improve and how to do it as opposed to people saying, oh, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. And then dropping this, you know, bomb on you like right at review time and give you all this criteria that you could have been spending three, four months working on, right? And then on the flip side, when I moved into sales and business development, I found that what really stuck out in terms of the positives were I had a lot of leaders who were okay with healthy conflict. I had leaders who were more assertive by nature, but where oftentimes they lacked the ability to connect was around softening things or empathizing with the person on the other side of it, right? So I saw the good and the bad in, in both industries. And now in my business today, where I try to walk the line between those two styles is I know I'm much more the assertive direct leader. And I know that to go outside my comfort zone, I have to be more empathetic. I'm not a great listener by nature. I know that I've got to work on that. I'm not as team focused by nature. I'm, I'm more me focused by nature because that's my natural style. So I've had to adapt the skills to be able to lead that way. And so when I'm working with leaders, right, one thing I try to do is empathize with, hey, to get them to better understand their natural style, I've got to own my own and I've got to talk to the strengths and gaps around it, right? But one of the big things those great coaches have typically in common is they find a way to first own their own style and then start to figure out how do I meet Joe where he is? How do I meet Calm where he is, right? And that's a mindset. That's almost like one of the five pillars of EQ is the motivation to do it, right? I'm committed to doing this work as a leader. And where I think a lot of people are falling down is they're committing to part of it, but they're not seeing the other part of it. You said you break down EQ into like two parts. Mm -hmm. Let's dive into that. So what's part one? Part one is all about looking inward, right? And really, like I was talking about earlier, leaning into your own natural style, understanding like I described that when I lead in a more assertive way, it comes across as more natural, right? However, there are people that don't respond to really assertive leadership, so they need a softer touch. I recognize that. However, if I try to be that more um, kind of a collaborative leader, or if I lead from more of a we, not me stance, while some people might really appreciate that, it's never going to come across as genuine. So the first thing you have to do is dive into what is your genuine leadership style, right? What's going to come natural? And then figure out, okay, so what are the blind spots that are created by that? I'm not very organized by nature. I'm not a very good listener. I'm not as empathetic as I need to be. So all of those things come, I need to lean into my skills to do. But if I can first accomplish that, the first half of emotional intelligence is knowing what comes natural and then knowing what blind spots you need to uh, mitigate through skill development. That's the first half, right? Now, the second half of it, if I'm leading or influencing you, I need to understand calm. What's your natural style? How do you receive information? What makes you tick, right? What are the things that motivate you and you're energized by? And then I've got to make some calculated choices of one, how might I soften my style in certain areas or accelerate my style in certain areas to meet your needs? And two, what's reasonable, right? You can't meet everyone where they are. You can't be everything, all things to all people as a leader. You have to make certain choices. And you have to prioritize certain things that you're going to give others. But if you can accomplish step one, which is looking inward, and then step two, which is 
how do I then take that inward awareness and regulate myself or modify appropriately? Now I'm on my way to becoming a, a stronger, more emotionally intelligent leader. So for part two, you mentioned also understanding your employees, right? Like what's their style? You know your style and then you have to understand their style. I don't know if I heard you right there. So considering the styles of the people that you're managing, right? Part one is like, is understanding your own self-awareness, but part two is now that you know your self-awareness side of it, part two is now understanding your team. So then you can make it work. I just want to make sure I'm summarizing that right. No, you are. And there's really a couple different things that live inside of part two. And this is where the work of becoming a really strong leader, it's work, right? Now we've got to do a little bit of inventory. Right. And so this is something that we're finding more of our clients are getting into when you get into the, how do I regulate for others? And I'm going to use an NBA term here, right? How do you take a heat check? Right. I've made a few three pointers in a row and now I need to really get that heat check of uh, how hot I really am. Well, number one, you need to hear from your people. You need to hear from the environment around you. And so there are a couple different ways to do that. One way is using 360 assessments, which we've talked about, and that's becoming a more popular tool for leaders to tap into because a 360 assessment, when it's properly built and administered, will collect really good feedback on how your leadership style is being perceived and how strong or weak potentially some of your leadership skills are. You can also consider using an assessment that will literally measure EQ. It will measure the components that we talked about. How self-aware is this person? How aware is this person of the needs of others? And some assessments out there will even provide some normative data to give you industry benchmarks to compare yourself and or your team to. So there are a couple different ways to get at the heat check. Here's the challenge. If you don't take the heat check, None of the other work really matters because you're all, you're doing it through the lens of what you think you need to work on, as opposed to what the data is confirming you need to work on. And so whether you take the heat check through EQ, 360, a combination of both, you've got to do the heat check first, right? Because once you have that heat check done, then you can build a curriculum of skill development that actually will make a difference in your environment and will help you become the leader that your people need you to be. So it sounds like you basically answered the question I was going to ask, where do you start, right, to improve EQ? So it really, it starts with the heat check, the 360 assessment, also taking maybe an EQ assessment, mm -hmm. right? And the statement you said earlier, right, understanding the styles of the people that you're managing, Joe, like how can someone find that out? Like how can they find the style of each of their employees? So let's say they manage 40 employees, Sure. Or team, you have man, some managers that manage a hundred. So how do you find that? And how do you scale that? Yeah. And that, that's a great question. So that's where having tools like predictive index is helpful. As we've talked about, there are a lot of great behavioral assessment tools out there. We happen to believe predictive index is the best in class because of something you just mentioned, which is scale. It's a very quick and easy assessment to administer. And then once you've collected the results, it, it lives on a really nice, elegant, easy to use software platform. And so you have constant access to those results. So if I'm a leader and I've got 40 direct reports and I have access to software like Predictive Index, I can go in on demand and pull a report 
that will tell me what the person needs in checklist form. I can pull a report that will give me a one-to-one -one relationship guide to talk about my style and their style, where a line, where they might collide and how to work through that. And I can even do it for my team. So I can look at a team view to say, hey, how might my style as a leader even be perceived at the team level? So I can think about, you know, becoming a more intelligent team leader. So there are a lot of different leverage points and scale points you get with something like predictive index to help you better understand the needs of others which is a massive component of an emotionally intelligent leader. Without that data, you're guessing or you're going on your observations. And while we're all pretty smart, we're not perfect, right? So we're, we're gonna misinterpret where things are coming from, probably create another problem as opposed to solving the one we're trying to solve. You know, folks listening could be like, I don't know if that works, yada, yada. Like I was the same mindset before trying predictive index and I've tried this. I mean, there's a lot of different platforms sure. out there right and we mm -hmm. gravitated to predictive index because they had certain benefits and features that we were looking for and it, ha it has been a game changer for us like really understanding each of my team members and then able to communicate with them better and then when we saw how the relationships match we would laugh because i go i review with my team members and they're like calm you're definitely like this like you talk really fast in meetings and you need to slow down you know so now i'm aware with certain people I slow down, I kind of check in and just make sure, hey, does this make sense? And sometimes I catch myself at times talking over people, not on purpose to be rude, but that's just a style. So I've gotten better to just slow it down, listen. It just It's really great because then it shows that you're hopefully becoming a better leader. You're listening. You're getting respect from your team members. And there's other people that we jive really well with. Let, let me correct myself. Not that I don't jive well with other people. Other people might have similar styles. But there's other gaps. So I think it might be like we're both moving so fast, we can get each other quickly, but then there's like no follow through. So that follow up is, okay, let's create very tactical next steps. So that person has a follow through. So like, again, having to a predictive index has been really great for us to kind of make sure each team member is productive, but they also are receiving information, the communication, the understanding it, the comprehending it in their style. So yeah, for folks who haven't tried a tool like predictive index, it's, it's definitely been critical to building success in our culture. In for leaders, if I go back to what's the landscape looking like right now, one of the biggest motivating factors for organizations to invest in tools like predictive index is they, and I say they being key leaders and stakeholders from the CEO on down that are committed to developing more emotionally intelligent leaders in their organizations themselves included, know that in order to do that, they've got to give their people the right tools, right? There are a lot of awesome tools out there you can provide to your team for financial success, for sales success, for operational success, for project management success. You've introduced me to wonderful tools like monday.com, which we still use religiously, right? Understanding the HubSpot inbound marketing methodology to better understand our customer personas. Why not give your people the best possible people tools to help them understand themselves and their people better? It seems like such an obvious fit and we're starting to see leaders really understand that the primary motivation for these tools is to, to help their leaders understand themselves and their people quicker, better, and drive better conversations and drive better engagement and retention.
that's a huge ROI driver for your business right there. Speaking of ROI, I think people are also wondering, okay, like I'm hearing this, what's the data behind this stuff? There's so many things that's on the plate of a leader now trying to really write their ship for their business. You know, they're making investments all over the place. The digital transformation is eating up their time and bandwidth, right? So what's the data behind this that, you know, not to say they convinced them, Joe, but just that's objective, make it a no-brainer for someone to invest in EQ. Well, if you think about it from that 80% gap, right? So if you have 10 leaders in your organization and over the next year, right, I go on the 20% rule, you start investing in tools and some training that can help your people become more self-aware and emotionally intelligent. Now think about the people that those people are touching, right? If each of those leaders has 10 direct reports, now you've created a pool of 20 people where not only are the leaders stronger, but you're likely to have 20% better retention. So think about in, inside a pool of 20 people, if you are protecting four or five more of them, these investments will pay for themselves in a heartbeat because the cost of replacing one of those employees is still higher than what you would potentially invest in for a leadership development platform for your 10 key leaders. The trade-off and ROI is immediate. And I'm quoting some, what I think are pretty conservative numbers based on some of the progress that we've seen in you know, organizations that have invested in these tools and, and our expertise for leadership development. So I can't recommend the investment up. And if you're a Massachusetts-based employer and you have under 100 employees in your organization, Massachusetts has what are called express workforce grants, which are available annually up to $30,000 and are 100% reimbursable. And a lot of the programming that is available, including a number of programs we've gotten approved through the state, are pre-approved that they can select off the list. So immediately they get funded and they can choose the programs that they want to choose. And a lot of programming is available to develop more enlightened leaders. So just some food for thought for people in your ecosystem, Com, that have under 100 people, free money from the state of Massachusetts out there waiting for them. And we can actually walk them through the application process really easy. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, it's it's a no-brainer on, on the cost side, the, the value side, and the results end. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming other states must be doing the same thing. So folks should probably really look at what's available through their they, state. They are. I was going to say, and if you, it, it, that's not the only type of grant available through the state. So several of our clients who have under 100 or over 100, they also applied for a general grant. And some of them have gotten up to 100, $150,000, $200,000 in training that's up to 50% reimbursable. So even though it's not 100% reimbursable, you're talking about you know, being able to make significant investments in your team and doubling that because of the state's contribution to it. And there's tremendous amount of really great programming available. For those larger grants, it's important to pull in, as you know, someone like Sandy Kearney, our dear friend, to be able to help write a grant and get it built out. But 
that express grant program right now, I mean, $30,000 is a really significant amount of money to be able to pull in and it funds immediately, right? That's the other thing. So from a cash flow perspective, it funds as soon as you use the money, it gets reimbursed. Wow, that's amazing. I'm totally going to be uh, reaching out to to folks definitely in my ecosystem to say, do you know about this? I even look into it myself. So thank I you for sharing that. I have a document that. that I'll share with you that's got the entire process you know, outline on how to start the application. And you mentioned other states. New Hampshire has a program. Rhode Island does not. New York State has a really good program. And then I'm not sure about Connecticut, but uh, a number of the states in the region have really good programs. I know Massachusetts right now is really pushing for people to tap into that money. So this is fabulous. I know we're already at the end of our time here, Joe. Looking forward to our next conversation, but I think a lot of great takeaways today. I'll be following up with you later today to also like tap into this grant process and we'll share that with people too. We'll put that in, in the notes. You got it. Tom, as always, such a pleasure. Thank you for having me today. Really appreciate it. Our pleasure to have you as well. So all right, go out there, keep crushing it, and we'll catch up with you soon. Sounds good. If you have any questions and topics you'd like us to cover, please email me at podcast at or message me on LinkedIn.